Can you hear me? Started. Um, just a bit of housekeeping before I call it the meeting to order. Number one, this is a Zoom venue, and with that, um, a couple of announcements are appropriate. Number one, in addition to the traditional notifications that we are obligated to make, i.e. Uh, posting the property, notifying adjoining property owners, and publishing a legal notice, uh, we also have published this Zoom and its details on county website, um, and as well, it's on Facebook. As, um, second item, number one, or second item would be, I'd appreciate it if everybody stays on mute, unless they are speaking or will be speaking. Um, there is a hand signal feature on the, um, I think it's participants listing. And so if you need to speak or raise your hand, do so that way. However, I'll also tell you that you can raise your hand just by itself and we'll find you between Christy or Sarah or myself, we'll figure it out. Um, so with that accomplished, I'd like to call to order the August 20th meeting of the Route County Planning Commission. Sarah, if you'd be so kind to call the roll. Sure. Uh, okay, Steve Warnke. Yes. Brian Kelly. Yes. Andrew Benjamin. Here. Troy Brookshire. Here. Roberta Marshall. Here. Bill Norris. I see him there. Here. Okay. Uh, Greg Yeager. Here. Peter Flint, is it Peter? No, Peter. Uh, Billy Mitzelfeld. Billy Mitzelfeld. Well, I see him there. So I'm gonna yeah. take that as a yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, and, and as a matter of order, Christy, am I, is, is Rohail, what's the story with Rohail? You're muted. He was supposed to make this meeting, um, but I received notification from Ronnie that I guess he responded no to this meeting. So okay. I need to follow up with him, so. Okay, but technically he's still on the roll. He is. Right, okay, thank you, that's it. Um, perfect, Sarah, would you go forward also and note for the record, our guests, Penny and Fred Fletcher, I'm thinking? Yep. And? And I've got Allison and Fred Fletcher and Penny. No, Allison and Fred French and Penny Fletcher. Right. Perfect. Thank you. It's Allison and um, Nick. It's Allison and Nick, and Nick French and. Oh, Nick. sorry. I'm looking at three things at once. Sorry, Allison and Nick French. Right. <laughs> Very good. Um, for the record, we have a quorum. Uh, first item on the order, or next item on the order, is public comment. There's anyone in the public, which I don't think there is, that wishes to comment on any items to the commissioners that is not on the agenda this evening. Now would be the time to do so. I'm hearing and or seeing none, so we'll close that portion. Items for consideration, PL-20-117 French replat. Um, 
I have uh, okay, Penny. Why do you you want to move? Are you the going to provide a narrative brief one for the commissioners? Yes. Um, so Nick and Allie French purchased this. Penny, Penny, can I stop you for just one minute? I almost for, I forgot this. Um, at the risk, not the risk. I really probably need to disclose, uh, but I'm not sure that it impacts anything. I need to disclose that I currently serve as the secretary treasurer for the Willow Creek Pass Village Association. And I also chair the uh, ECC or Environmental Control Committee for the association. I personally am not convinced that I'm that's some type of a conflict, but I will yield to either the petitioners um, and or staff and or the commissioners if they think I should recuse myself, I'll be more than happy to do so. I'm sorry for my ignorance, but can you please tell me what your job is, who, what your position is? I'm sorry, I don't with, know. With in this commission? Yeah. I'm chairman of the, of the planning commission. Okay, thank you. I'm sorry, I just didn't That's know. That's okay. Yeah, um, no. Uh, I, I, Nick and Allie, I know you're on, the, uh, you're on here. Um, I, I personally don't think that it is of um, a conflict of interest. Um, we have to make a decision here um, regarding this property. And as you are fully aware of, um, Steve, there has been many um, surveying stuff that has been done throughout Steamboat Lake subdivision throughout the years that have some discrepancies on their survey lines that probably need to be addressed. Um, this is what my clients are attempting to do is to finally to put this to rest. It has been like this with this home being built um, encroaching on the neighbor's lot since it was constructed as well um, as the garage. The garage is not the home, but the garage has been since it was constructed. Um, the previous two owners of this property um, did not correct it, get it corrected with the county and the Frenches have um, expressed a strong desire to make sure that these lot lines are correct. At the time when we purchased the home, it was disclosed to us that it was in through the county process at that point in time and that it would be taken care of prior to closing, which unfortunately um, the previous owners um, did not complete their application correctly to move forward. And so since that point, we have stepped up to get the application um, properly, hopefully properly filled out to continue to get this lot line discrepancy um, taken care of and the vacation of the easements. So once again, do I take your comments as you yes. don't have an objection to my being there? Objection. Perfect. Anyone else? Andy, you had your hand up. Yeah, Steve, you've disclosed this in the past and you've also um, made decisions in the past in these matters, correct? Yeah, I actually have. And so for me, um, you've shown that you can be um, impartial in these hearings and um, I don't mind if you stay on personally. Okay, anyone else? I'll take that as it's an okay to proceed. Um, so Penny, you've done a pretty good job already of the narrative, but why don't you continue on? 
um, and we'll go from there. Okay, so um, um, the property has been surveyed, as you can see by your surveys that you have in front of you. Um, there's two exhibits that you have. Unfortunately, the exhibits are not labeled um, in, in my packet that I have. Um, and Chris, if you can, if you can help me that with that with presentation to him, but you'll see that there was a survey that was completed by um, Tom Effinger. It's an improvement location certificate, and it clearly state it clearly shows that the garage is approximately six feet, six point five feet over the lot line. I think that's 6.5, it might be 8.5. It's too small for me to read, I'm sorry. Um, and then there's a little tiny shed um, that is um, encroaching, there we go, that is encroaching on the lot line as well. Um, so since that time, um, Tom Eppinger has gone back out and he's resurveyed this property and has come up with a lot line adjustment that has been agreeable um, to the owners of lot 60 to adjust the property lot line. And by doing so, it takes, and if Chris, if you can put that other map up, that would be great. Actually, Christy is, do you mean oh, this one? Thank you, yes, thank you very much, yes. You'll show that it, it brings it off, off the encroachment of the vacant lot 60. Um, still leaves them with adequate acreage um, for a building site and um, uh, um, allows my clients to have their garage be within the setback. Without, out of the setback, I guess I should say. So um, we've, we've applied for the vacation of the, ease of the utilities um, the utilities have all been signed off on all the utility companies agree um, that there's no utilities in um, that easement and um, we're just looking to move forward for an approval for this lot line adjustment. Brian, um, you had your hand up. I'm assuming that would be a question for the petitioner. Yeah, just a quick one. I'm gathering the wards were the previous owners. Is that correct? The wards were the previous owners, yes. Okay, so those names will be changed on the plat. The only other thing I noticed is in looking at the uh, site survey showing the, the topo lines, if that's the shed right next to the 69, it's still showing a rectangular object in the utility easement. Yeah, and where I, there's no utilities in that easement. Um, it is still there. Um, and this just came to light that that was, it's a, it's a shed that sits on a, a couple of piers. Um, and this just came through, when Chris came out to do her um, inspection of the property, um, she noticed that it was within that um, setback in there. And um, Chris has expressed to us that that shed needs to be relocated. However, um, 
This is one of the convert. This was new to us. Um, it's going to require uh, cutting down several trees. Um, it's also going to require um, it being put on a forklift or some sort of piece of equipment to try and move it the 2.5 feet that it's out of compliance. Um, we were hoping to be able to get some sort of an workable agreement, whether it be with the neighbors saying that they don't mind it being there or for the county to say it's been, because it's been there since the day that the house was built. Um, and unbeknownst to us, it was in that particular setback and that would be a problem because it's a movable, supposedly a movable structure if you're Superman, let's just put it that way. So it looks like- uh, Andy, you have a question? Brian can finish. Just a quick one. It looks like in attempting to angle that front lot line, it actually got closer to the shed. I assume you were trying to equalize the area there, the area of the land trade between 60 and 61. In other words, not impact the overall square footage or acreage of lot 60 by giving away the land around the garage. Yeah, I, I believe that's probably what Tom Effinger was trying to achieve. I'm, I'm done. Thank you. Andy? Um, what's the approximate square footage of the shed? Um, approximately, I'm not 100% certain, but I think it's probably 125. Square feet. Square feet. <clears throat> the, the, it's the, approximately 100 square feet. 100 it, square feet. So it it actually meets the county's requirements, other than the fact that it's on a foundation. I mean, the piers are not a foundation in the typical sense, but piers in the ground, down to frost, or just short things on grade. Um, because the other, it being on a foundation is an issue versus um, the actual location. I might, I might argue that if there's no complaint about it being located there and it's not on a permanent foundation, then I'm, I'm not gonna see the benefit in requiring it to be moved. I will recognize though that if it is on, a, on piers that go down below frost, then it actually is in it is in non-conformance whether it's been there for a long time. Chris, is that accurate? I think that what we can do to correct this, you know, it, it met requirements to begin with. And then, and then with the change of the lot line, um, obviously it's much closer than it's supposed to be per our regulations. And we don't have a variance procedure for something like this, or we could pursue that. But what I think we can do is get with Tom and adjust this two and a half feet around the shed and adjust it so it meets the current regulations for the other property and um, be able to work through it that way. But I haven't spoken to Tom yet about that. I did speak to Tom about that today, Chris. And oh, um, excuse me. 
I spoke to Tom about that today, and Tom felt that that was not a good suggestion. Um, he, he felt that, that that would be requiring a replat. Um, there would be too much time involved with that. Um, we'd have to submit an application back to the adjacent property owners. Everything's already been done. He, he just didn't feel it was necessary. I can say that these, this is not attached to any sort of a foundation. It, it's nailed to some wooden, I, I guess I would like to say some timbers that are placed on the ground and it's attached to those timbers via nails in the corner. Um, so it's not below frost line. It's not, it, there's no piers that have been poured. It's just sitting on top of something, but there's a lot of work that's involved to move it this two and a half feet. Yeah, I, I could have swore I heard something mentioned about concrete. And so that's the only question. If the structure is completely movable, then it is, again, its location is, you know, maybe unfortunate, but if there's no complaints lodged about this, then I don't, I guess I don't see the benefit in forcing its movement. Um, to clarify just a couple of things here, um, and this is just for the record, the regulations do require this structure, whether it has a foundation or not, to be no less than four feet from the property line. So that's the issue. And that's under our small structure definition, which allows for certain structures less than 120 square feet to be within a setback, but no closer than the four feet. Um, so that's where this falls in. And like Chris said, it's um, two and a half feet is the issue. Um, a variance isn't an option. And I would disagree with Tom um, Effinger's assessment, actually. Um, this is not, this would not have to be re-advertised. It would be a simple just adjustment to the line. It wouldn't change how this was advertised. And it wouldn't change lot 60 as long as it was moved. And we can work with him on this. It would be a small, really slight adjustment here. And I think that would be the best way to handle this. Um, but again, we can, um, we can discuss it, you know, when we get to, um, you know, round table and, and uh, conditions of approval. Would but that it, would be probably the easiest. Would it be appropriate? Could it be in an administrative approval, Christy, at that point? So that's what we're really suggesting. I mean, it would be handled through the conditions of approval. I believe Chris um, crafted a suggested condition um, that would be through my approval as we're moving through this process. And I would be able to do that, yes. Thank you. I think Brian Kelly had his hand raised also. There's a just a second easement here. You mentioned the four-foot setback, but it's sitting when the lot line gets adjusted, it's sitting in the utility easement. If I look at the drawing correctly. That's, that's correct, Brian, but it still meets our regulations to be able to do that. Ah, I, this is incredibly common throughout the county, I think, as yes. we all know. And I'm yes. not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's incredibly common. And I don't see this as a big issue that the staff should be able to deal with it in combination with Tom Effinger and, yeah. you know, stick to the big things, the house and the garage. And I can call Tom tomorrow. I, I don't think he understood that we can, he can redo this line before the county commissioner's hearing and then we'll be squared away 
as long as both property owners agree to that minor change. So we can, we can talk to Tom about that. Thank you. The only downside of having this- uh, Kristen, did- What was that? Did you hear me? I just was gonna ask Chris, do I understand that you've got a potential condition ad that would cover that? Well, we had a condition number six. So if you go to the, um, at the bottom of the page, there's That's page the no numbers. Zone. Yeah, so condition number uh, six, six is on page uh, eight. And um, what- Page what eight? I, yes, page eight. And what I had placed is that um, the shed located on lot one um, must be relocated to meet current regulations. But what we can say is we can reword that, say that it must be brought into conformance prior to the plat being recorded. At the point, Perfect. at the point where we have it resurveyed and it's brought into conformance through Tom Effinger with his surveying, correct clarify with me, is that an administrative approval at that point in time? And then we go in front of the county commissioners with it already approved by the planning commission and, and then we get their approval or do, is there another pro, another step there? It would meet that condition number six, even if it's applicable at that point, if it's corrected before we go to the county commissioners, that condition is no longer applicable. So we can work on that prior to going to the Board of County Commissioners, then everything would be into conformance and they approve the plan as presented to them. Perfect. Okay. Just going to have to grease the wheels of Tom. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll call him tomorrow and explain because I don't think he understood that we don't have to start this process over. Is this as if the surveyors aren't busy enough, right? Right. Brian? Right. <laughs> well, the only other option is move the shed. That's the other option, which we don't really want to do. If I don't. Right. And, and I think we can make there this after okay. we speak with Tom. Thank you. Um, Penny, I'm assuming for the time being, you've concluded your narrative and comments. I have nothing more to say. Thank Perfect. Uh, Chris, you want to yes. speak for staff, please? Well, I think we kind of covered it. Penny covered it quite well. Unfortunately, this situation was done, you know, back when, and I don't, we, none of us know what happened that the garage was placed over the property line. But with the change of it, um, of the property line, it will bring it into conformance, not only with the setbacks, but with the, with the utility easement. So that will all be recorded and, and redone on the plat. And as you saw from the slope analysis, it is very steep on the backside of this house. And um, I think that was probably one of the reasons that they shifted this a little bit when they put the garage in, but we'll never really know. But I think between the buildable area of this parcel, which they have completed, and also the buildable parcel of, um, the adjoining property, we confirmed that there's plenty of room for them to build with this change. Um, I think this is something that has worked out well and I'm glad the two property owners were able to work this out so we can um, get this done for the French's. 
So if you have any uh, other Chris, questions. I have a question. Sure. Um, on page, and it's probably a procedural question, I suppose. Page two under staff comments, the very first sentence is the property owners of both lots are in agreement regarding the replat. Do you request evidence of that? Uh, something in writing? Do you do whatever? Or what? They have to sign an application and they have. So they, they are co-petitioners in this application. Okay. And if that wasn't the case, then we would get a letter from somebody. So they filled out the application just like the French Oh yeah, I get that part. Yeah. yeah, so we're good to go with them. That answers, nope, that's, that's fine. I'm good with that. Okay. Um, and then I thought I had one other question. I should have oh. mentioned that this would Again, be- Again, a procedural a question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Steve, I should have mentioned- Well, that's where it's going to go. Are we, are we on two motions here under one petition? Yes, and I'm sorry I didn't mention okay. that. So we have the motion- You're ahead of me then. For the utility easement and then for the lot line adjustment for the replat. Okay. Um, I'd like to open this up to public comment if there is any at this point in time. Hearing none, I'll close the public comment section. Um, commissioners, any questions for either staff or the petitioner? Once again, the silence, oh, Brian. Just a quick question. So as far as giving the, the staff administrative authority to work with Tom to move the lot line, do we do that under the lot line part or the easement vacation part? I think we do it under the lot line part. Um, specifically condition number six, I think. Yeah, that would be, we don't need to have administrative approval or addition. We just need to amend that condition, condition six. saying that they bring it into yeah. conformance, not just necessarily relocating it. Okay, so we can cleanly approve the utility easement vacation. Yes. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, this is Billy. Um, my quick question is, uh, it's mentioned that the uh, no build zone is gonna be shown and I, I didn't see it on there. So is that on there? Just a, just a question. It will be shown on the final plat. Okay, so, hmm, all right. Um, I think at this point in time, I don't know that I see the value of having any kind of a major round table. I would like to have Chris, if you would recite the rewords on um, condition number six. And then once we've got that down, I mean, last time, I think Chris, don't you have the ability to actually change that on the screen for us? I do, I can do that for you. Let me see. I think that would be helpful. Picked up the wrong one. Nope, did it show up? No, yes. I think you did. Are you good? Okay. So let me see, condition number six, the shed located on lot 61 along the boundary line between lots 
60 and 61 must be, I can say, brought into conformance. Does that sound appropriate? Yep. I think it sounds good. To meet current regulations under the definition of small structure prior to the plat being recorded. Perfect. Uh, commissioners, I don't think that, uh, are there any other conditions that need to be addressed or adjusted? Okay, um, Chair will entertain a motion on, hold on. On PL-20-117, uh, specific to the lot line adjustments. Silence Mr. Chair. Mr. Chair, I move Bill. to move to approve the uh, lot line adjustment with uh, one through with the findings of fact one as written and uh, one through seven as rewritten. Second. Who is that? Is that you, Andy or Brian? Brian. Thank you, Brian. Um, all those. Let me turn this. I'll take the position that everyone is approving this. So all those that are not going to approve the motion as presented, please, ind say, please indicate by saying no. Motion is carried. Chair will entertain a second motion that is specific to the utility easement vacation. Mr. Chair. Uh, move to approve the you, uh, uh, vacation of utility easements with uh, findings of fact one as written and the conditions one and two as written. That was hard. Second. Brian, did you second that? Yes, sir. We have a motion and a second. Once again, any discussion? Hearing none, all those in all those opposed to the motion, please indicate by saying no. Hearing none, the motion is approved and carried. Um, and we are done. Penny, you're free to go unless you wish to hang around. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you from the Frenches. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome, thank you. Good night. Good night. Very good. Thank you, good night. Chris, can you unshare your screen, please? I can unshare it. Yeah, thank save you. the changes. <laughs> There's a lot. Are you good to go? So, Christy, are you doing the next item on the agenda, which is? Uh, no, Alan is. Um, um, public sites regulation? Alan is, okay. I'll be jumping in. Alan, you're on. Okay. All right. So, 
I'm just going to uh, basically just walk through the staff report or the memo that was provided to y'all. So this, these, it's, and we're actually talking about two different sections of the zoning regulations. Uh, the, in the first one that I'm gonna start off with is, or I'm sorry, one section in the zoning regulations, one section in the subdivision regulations. And I'm gonna start off with section 3.5 of the subdivision regulations, and that's titled Open Space and Public Sites. And so during the Fox Grove subdivision uh, review, the staff realized that the regulations in section 3.5.2 specifically uh, were not in compliance with uh, the state enabling statute that allows counties to, or requires counties to collect uh, fees or land for schools and parks. The, the existing language says that the county shall require the dedication of land for public sites such as schools, fire stations, or other necessary public facilities as determined by the board. Uh, the, the state statute that enables this is specific to schools and parks only. And that statute actually requires that counties have provisions for the dedication of those lands in their regulations. So, uh, the, the fact that fire stations and other necessary public facilities are mentioned in our regulations does not, is not in compliance with the state statute. And so back in October of 2019, uh, staff presented to planning commission, uh, different impact fees that other municipalities collect on and some of those are roads, wildfire mitigation, emergency services, affordable housing, and the county can collect fees for those, but only after a nexus study has been completed to determine what the impact from the proposed subdivision would be on those services. And then uh, that study would also determine what an appropriate dedication or fee to offset those impacts would be. And so the, the county has not done those studies for any of those things that I just mentioned. So we're not even addressing that right now. The proposed changes are only meant to address land dedications for schools and parks. And so one of the things that our regulations are currently lacking is a specific formula that is used to determine what the the amount of land dedicated is or what the the fee in lieu of that dedication is so the the main focus of this update is to include those formulas and so uh, on page two of the staff packet those formulas are, are spelled out. And so for parks, it's 0 0.013 acres times 2.3 times the number of additional dwelling units equals the land area to be dedicated. And then for schools, it's 
the exact same formula, except it's 0.017 acres. And those numbers came from, uh, for parts, those are based on uh, the Department of Local Affairs, Small Community Parks and Recreation Standards and consultation with the City of Steamboat Springs Parks and Recreation Director. And both of those sources said that 13 acres of parkland is required per 1,000 residents. So if you do the math, that turns into 0 0.013 acres per resident. And so then the same thing was done for the school's formula. We consulted with the school districts and the county, and they stated that 17 acres per 1,000 residents is, is the number that they use, so hence the 0 0.017. Uh, the 2.3 is based on uh, DOLA's estimated household size for Route County. And so that number is used for that. And then the number of additional dwelling units is used because that parcel already has a right for uh, a dwelling unit and potentially a secondary dwelling unit. So once you do the, once you start subdividing, you are adding additional dwelling units to, to that property. And so, that's why the number of additional dwelling units is used. So once, once all of those formulas are, the numbers are plugged into the, to the formulas and the, the amount of land area to be dedicated is determined, there are two options. And the first is to, to dedicate that land to a public agency. Um, but uh, an issue that we have run into in the past is though that land to be dedicated is so small and the site is so small that it's not feasible to dedicate that land because it would be unusable. And in those situations, a fee in lieu of dedication needs to be paid. And so uh, through those formulas, we've determined that X number of acres needs to be dedicated. And so just for example sake, let's say half an acre for schools and parks needs to be dedicated. But half an acre is not really enough to, um, to do any of those uses on, so they have to pay the fee in lieu. And so now a fair market value of the land within the subdivision needs to be determined so that that per acre value can get multiplied by the number of acres that needs to be dedicated and that will result in the fee in lieu that is required. And so the way the regulations are proposed is that value would be based on proposed platting without the infrastructure installed and that value is to be agreed upon by the applicant and the director. And if that value cannot be agreed upon, then the applicant would be required to pay for an appraisal. And uh, the appraisal must be done by a qualified individual and the, the requirements or the certification that individual are listed in the, in the regulations.
And so there's always the, um, the chance that the applicant does not agree with the amount of land to be dedicated. There is a study evaluating the You are breaking up on pretty bad. Parks and I am? Yeah, yeah Ellen, you, we just lost you for about a minute. Okay. What was the last thing you heard? <laughs> You're, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Bank it out, bank it out. That's the last thing I heard. Okay, the last thing I heard was um, uh, about it, the appraisal being paid for by the applicant. And you were going on to say that if there was a question regarding the amount of land to be dedicated, then land. Okay, so, uh, if the applicant doesn't agree with the amount of land to be dedicated, they do have the ability to prepare a study that would evaluate the impacts on schools and parks and the county would take that study into consideration. Right. And then the last change would require the any fee in lieu to be paid directly to the school district or the parks department that the subdivision is closest to or located in. Um, that's a change from how we currently handle this, which is the applicant gives us, the county, the money, and then the county uh, remits that money to the to the parks and school district uh so i wasn't planning on going through all the changes line by line but we can if y'all want to and i think it would be best to uh have questions and discussion about this before we move on to the to the next proposed change andy has his question andy has a question Alan, can you share the Andy, screen? You've got a question. Yep, can you share the screen that you are referring to? In my packet, I only got the agenda and the replat lot line adjustment vacation. I did not get a memo um, just on in the hard copy. Um, can you share a screen that has any of this stuff that you've been discussing? Yeah. Is that um, true for everybody, or was that just seen? Well, it is, but it, it, was, it was included in the last team. meeting. Right, right. Yeah, excellent. And then my thank you for sharing that, Alan. Appreciated. My my question, I guess, is is that, and again, I wasn't here when all of this was kind of created. Was it the intent of this to be applied to like a large, what we would traditionally think of as a subdivision, versus kind of these smaller things that I don't know that it actually fell into the spirit of what maybe was trying to be accomplished at the time? I don't, I, I wasn't here, so I, Troy probably actually can enlighten us on maybe something of that. I mean, these are meant to apply to all subdivisions uh, across the board. And in order to, 
to make it fair and equitable to a small or a large subdivision, uh, specific standards and formulas needed to be created. And that's what we did with these, uh, with these regulations. And uh, as a side note, this is, these are the formulas that were used when determining the, the fee in lieu to be paid at the Fox Grove subdivision which if y'all recall, that was a, just, that was a six lot subdivision at the corner of Huckleberry and Fish Creek Falls. Yeah, and you know, I kind of remember maybe having that discussion a little bit at that time about the ac applicability of it. I mean, I guess I, I like the direction you're taking from the stance that you're saying it at least puts everybody on an even playing field and takes the interpretation out of our hands. I think that's a, a good thing personally or you know from this standpoint of this commission i mean yeah because with fox grove there they were proposing an a necessary public facility and their necessary public facility that they were proposing was an upgraded <laughs> or an oversized water pipe leading from down Fish Creek Falls from the high pressure tank through their property, which the city was requiring no matter what. So they were saying, well, I only need a six inch line to serve this six, this six lot subdivision, but we're actually putting in a 12 inch line. So that's a necessary public facility that, and we shouldn't be required to pay a fee in lieu. And so, when we said that we didn't agree with it, they were like, all right, well, the statute that you're relying on says parks and schools. So that's when we got in. It, it, was a, it was a very, that discussion went on for months trying to determine what the appropriate fee in lieu was or was supposed to be and what it's based on. Yeah. And I think historically public sites has been very loose, loosely interpreted of, of what that really um, meant in the regulations. And that's part of this too. So we're matching and in line with state statutes. Um, and it's clear that that fee and lieu dedication is for park and schools and a developer won't turn around and say, well, no, this is a public benefit. So you should consider this. Um, so really, we're just trying to make our regulations in line with state statute and, and that clarity. And I can point out that the new title Troy of this has, section. Troy has his hand. Sorry. Yeah. Troy has his hand up. You want to talk a little bit about how or who decided that the fee in lieu simply goes to the entity? as opposed to the county being the pass-through? Yeah, so I think it's from an administration standpoint. So these funds have to be separated from the general fund or they have to be in their own account. They have to be in their, and it's an interest-bearing account. And then any fees that the county holds for these has to be detailed as to 
this fee was collected for this subdivision, this fee was collected for this subdivision, this much is for parks, this much is for schools. They're both in their accounts. And then the, the county has to annually provide that information on, on the county's website so that people and, and the amount of money that's disbursed or remitted to those agencies within that year. So it was really, a, I think, an administration and accounting, a reporting, um, the, those requirements uh, pushed the county towards not wanting to take that money in the first place. And so uh, that money was all going to... So then it's a condition and an obligation put on to a developer by the county. And it would seem to me that the county is the only one that has any sort of enforcement mechanism against that developer. And if so- they didn't, If they didn't pay it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, it seems like so the county is trying to it seems to me that the county is wanting to implement something, which I know it's been there forever, referencing Andy's question. It, the state statutes, I think, has been there forever, but now the county is wanting to pass, do other counties pass this off and directly deposit it to the beneficiary? Or do other counties simply do the administration? Because, I mean, in Route County, all of this accounting and all of this nightmare, well, to date, you know, we only have a half a dozen of those maybe in any given year. And so I'm just unclear as to exactly why the county should not be the middleman, since they're the ones that A, put it on, and B, they ought to enforce it, and C, they ought to make sure the check gets then to the entity. Because what I hear you saying is, is that the county is simply bypassing the whole thing. We put it in the condition of approval. Good luck, whatever school district or parks getting your money. Thank you very much. I So the way I see this process going is that a condition of approval would be applied to the, to the application. And that would consist of you shall pay this money to the Steamboat Springs School District and the Steamboat Springs Parks Department, evidence of such payment shall be submitted to the county prior to recording the plat. And so that way, that would ensure that um, that money does get paid prior to, uh, prior to the plat being recorded. Um, to answer your question about what other counties do, during my research, I found it was kind of across the board. Some of them would collect it and then give it to the agency. Some of them would require it to be paid directly to the agency. Um, so there really wasn't a, a, a clear and this is what's done by all counties out there. So I think it was a, a decision, a, a really an administrative and accounting decision to take that burden off of county staff for the collection and maintenance and reporting of that money. 
And just to let y'all know, last year, the county did get rid of the, or distribute the funds that, that the county had. Some of those funds were collected for in 2004. So the county had been sitting on them for almost 16 years and um, it was well over $200,000 that the county distributed to the, the, three, the three school districts. Uh, Andy, uh, I have a question, one question, maybe two. Okay. In the past, has administrators and a petitioner subdivider agreed on uh, per, per acre values? Or is this new? Uh, I think that is new. I want to okay. look at the... Yeah, so the existing language, it starts right here. It says, in determining the fair market value of land for purposes of calculating a fee in lieu, the county may require that the developer obtain an appraisal. Oh, wait, but then up here, yeah. Yeah. Um, such payment shall be based on the fair market value based on completion of proposed platting of the entire property as it exists when all required infrastructure is complete and functioning. So that's, that's the existing language. Um, Which would imply, yeah. It would imply that the administrator probably agreed. Yeah. And Second I, question. Yeah, go ahead. In the past, we had a bit of a discussion about the fee and lieu and whether or not it was applicable to lot consolidations. I think we argued that whatever fees and or donations were to be made had been made and therefore in a consolidation, it would be a duplication of what had already taken place. Is you that changing or? You are correct that we've had those discussions and it is addressed right here. So lot consolidations that do not increase the density beyond what is currently approved are not subject to these requirements. <laughs> no more discussions. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, because the, the thinking was they've already paid that. And so we don't want to double dip. Correct. Um, Andy, you got your hand up. Greg was next. Oh, sorry. Okay, Greg. Are we also talking about, sorry, I might be in the wrong section right now, 35 or 3.5.4 as well with uh, basically the fee and lieu in that section, uh, page nine of 10 on the packet. So my question is um, where we kind of take out the public sites and just say park lands, what constitutes a park? Would like an HOA 
park be considered that? My fear would be like a developer saying, well, if we don't want it on this site, we'll just give it to another of my developments that I already have. And so then I get free money basically to build a park for another development instead of actually going what we really want it to go to is like public parks. And then just like is BLM considered public park or what, what would the uh, nexus for a public park be considered, I guess? Um, I, I mean, I don't see it functioning the way you described in the, the first one where you could transfer that over to another development. Um, I guess it's not out of the, out of the question as long as the, that other development, the, that park is sized is big enough to satisfy the park's requirements for both subdivisions and so that it's not just sized for one and then we're going to say oh but we're going to use that one for this subdivision as well it's there's there's still that land area required for both subdivisions and i guess if one satisfies the other i we we've done that something similar to that before so when I think it was the neighborhoods at Young's Peak, I think those are three separate subdivisions. And as a part of that, they donated a 10-ish acre site for a school. And that was well beyond what was required through, that, through those subdivisions. So that developer through a development agreement got credit that they could use in future subdivisions because they've already they paid above and beyond what was required for that one that it was originally dedicated for. Does that make sense? Okay. And so did I did I answer all of your questions, Greg? I guess uh, is the intent of this to be going towards uh, public infrastructure to the fees of public entities instead of a private entity, uh, but for the enjoyment of the public. Um, and so that, that's kind of my philosophical question of, uh, of, of that part is, you know, this is still going to be benefiting the public in all, but there again, it might not be benefiting as many people uh, if it goes to the public instead of going to kind of a more so private area and what the intent of that was. Yeah, and I can, I can understand that. And I mean, the, the where what I'm thinking of is in those situations where the, the parkland requirement is too small to be feasible, that particular development is not going to have the park but the fee that's associated with that impact would be going to the parks department that would be impacted the most. So like for, let's take like tiny homes in Milner. That was so small that you're not gonna feasibly get a park on there or obviously at school. But the people, the residents of that development will be using parks most likely in Steamboat Springs. 
So it would just make the most sense for that fee to go directly to the parks department and steamboat to offset those impacts. Okay, um, yeah, and it sounds like it, then it would be an administrative decision of looking at with where it's actually going so that it would end up pretty much to benefit the, the most for the public then. I wouldn't necessarily say it's an administrative decision because this is something that our goal is to have figured out at the preliminary subdivision stage so that it can be reviewed by planning commission and the board during their review and approval or decision making process. Okay, so then we would be able to look and be like, well, that one fit and we would be able to make a change if we weren't comfortable with uh, the fee in lieu of where, where it would go. Yeah, yeah, we would want to have that, um, the amount of land required to be dedicated, the per acre value, all of that determined prior to planning commission and the board actually hearing the application. All right, well, that makes sense to me. Thank you. Andy. Thanks, Steve. Hey, Alan, again, um, I, I maybe, I thought I missed- Go ahead, Andy. Can you hear me? Can I can. you hear me? Yes. Um, so my question was along the lines, and I thought I, I maybe missed something in what you just said, was how they determine where the funds go. Because my concern is, is that being the county, and I feel like most of these developments happen, the bigger ones that maybe contribute larger shares of the funding happen not closer to Steamboat as much as they do to our outlying communities. And I feel like there's potential for this funding to be much like the um, sales tax directed, the lion's share directed to Steamboat. Um, and so, you know, what is the mechanism that keeps that from happening? Because in the, in the sales tax thing, it's completely skewed and kind of out of line. And I can see this being just another funding source for Steamboat and not for the outlying communities that actually need the funding to provide these open spaces for their community. Well, it's all based on proximity. Um, obviously, if we're talking about a subdivision in Stagecoach, Oak Creek is the closest parks department entity. So any park fees that would be generated out of a stagecoach subdivision would go to Oak Creek. Same thing with Hayden, same thing with Yampa. Um, and so here in F, uh, I think the school sites is easy. It goes to the, the uh, school district that the subdivision is located in. I don't think there's any questions about that. But then we go into all fees in lieu required to be paid to satisfy the park's lands requirements shall be paid to the parks department that the subdivision is closest to or is agreed upon by the applicant and planning director. And so uh, again, we would want this information to be hashed out and finalized prior to it going to planning commission and the board so that y'all have the ability to say, well, 
why is it going a steamboat and not Oak Creek or however, however it works out. Thank but you. there is that flexibility to, I mean, obviously we want it to go to the, to the entity that's going to be impacted the most. And for a parks, it's typically the ones that is closest, but not always. So a little bit of flexibility was written into the regulations to allow for those negotiations and uh, review by planning commission and board. Right on. Thanks, Alan. And just to be clear, um, Alan said, like, have it all hashed out, not determined. I mean, just make sure that it's clear in the proposal for you all to comment on as well. So not for it to be decided upon before it gets to um, before you all. Troy, you had your hand up. Yeah, and a um, couple of things. I wonder if trails are, are a park. I'm thinking about the core trail from Seville <laughs> Springs to um, Silver Spur. Um, so that's one thing. I don't know if the definition says that a park is green space and soccer goals and and or if a park <clears throat> could be a trail like the core trail that's one issue the other which is probably a much bigger issue and thanks for bringing it up andy but i've got a real deal killer here i'm assuming that f um where it defines the fees in lieu of going to the school site or parklands. And if the county, through this process, is going to be handing the city of Steamboat Springs money for parks, that's a deal killer for me. They, they have 2A money and they chose not to spend it in the urban area. Um, they've chose to spend 2A money, in my view, degrading the wildlife habitat and the public lands surrounding uh, Steamboat Springs. And I think if they had their way, they would um, expand those trails to much more public lands and wildlife habitat. So I'm assuming that F is a discretionary item as to how the county wants this money to be divvied up. And if we're bound by the way this is written to give it to City of Steamboat Springs because the neighborhood in the west of Steamboat is impacting the City of Steamboat and their parks, I don't think they need it. Obviously they're given money to you know, millions of dollars outside the city limits of Steamboat Springs. So therefore, I don't know why in the world I would want to support giving the city of Steamboat Springs more money for that issue. So I think it should be rewritten. In other words, I think if F is, is discretionary, I think we either table this, we amend it, but we change that 
to say that it does not have to go to where Alan said the biggest impact is. I mean, I don't mind going to Oak Creek. I don't mind going to Yampa, Stagecoach Hayden. But I'll be damned if I think Steamboat Springs needs more money for parks. Uh, but doesn't it actually say, or as agreed upon by the applicant and the planning director, and under those words, don't we have a bite at it at a commissioner level? Well, I don't know, because Alan said it went to the community the closest by, and it's in that yeah. uh, language in there somewhere that said it was the most affected. And Alan's interpretation was it's the closest one. So we, we need to make it clear that there's discretion about where that money can be spent and not just saying, oh, you're within two or three miles of Steamboat Springs, so Steamboat gets all the money from your fee and lieu. I guess, Troy, where would, in that situation, where would you propose it go to? I have to ponder that one. <laughs> because I get the way, the way I understand this is that there is a, the only, you collect these fee based on a nexus there is an impact to this agency based on, in this case, proximity. And if that agency is the one that is impacted, you can't give it to, to another agency because they are not the ones that is impacted unless there is a finding a fact to support the decision to not give it to the to the parks department that is the closest in proximity. Well, how about telling me if a trail is a park or not? Um, I think that in certain circumstances, a trail could be considered a park. Um, we just, Christy and I just had this discussion about uh, Young's Peak Preserve in Stagecoach, where it's a, if you recall, it's a 70 acre parcel and he's dividing it into five, five acre parcels or eight, eight sorry, eight. So that leaves 30 acres, 30 acres that's going into open space and he is installing an eight to $10,000 trail through that open space that will connect with the existing uh, trails and stagecoach. And we made the determination that, so that the open space required through a subdivision is 10%. This 30 acres of the 70 is- Far exceeds that. Whatever yeah, it is. 35, 40% of the total. So because it far exceeded what was required and the cost to build that trail, that kind of equals out and you've satisfied the, the park's requirement in that situation. I, I don't think we're discussing stagecoach. And, and my concern is specifically the way the 
uh, regs are written. I mean, I you asked me where it should go. Well, then I think you could satisfy my concern if you simply said that if you're going to turn money over to the Parks and Rec of Steamboat Springs, that's fine, but it needs to go towards the core trail. So you identify a a use, yeah, a use for where those fees in lieu can be spent. And I'm okay with that. I mean, I think the core trail is a benefit to everybody, whether you're locals, tourists, and and the people out there that live in those subdivisions that the county has approved in the past, your Heritage Park and, and Steamboat Twos and, and Silverspur, I, I, I'm thrilled if we could put money into the city's pocket for the extension of that core trail. Um, you know, you just run against this, you run up against this political um, headwind where the city of Steamboat Springs chooses not to spend money on the core trail, but to promote tourism out in the national forest. And that's the bone I have to pick. If we can dedicate it solely for the core trail, hey, I'll be quiet. But, it, but to just blanket tell me that they get a whole bunch of money, $200,000 or 50000 or five, whatever it is that the county gets to collect, I don't like the city of Steamboat Springs spending that money in wildlife habitat, which is against our master plan that we should not be supporting. There you go. Thank you, Troy. So this is starting to, we've had this memo prepared for close to nine months. And so things are starting to come back to me. So I do remember, um, so there are in the statute, there are specific things that the, that those entities can spend the money on. And that is for the acquisition of reasonably necessary sites and land areas, or for other capital outlay purposes for schools or parks, for the development of the sites and land areas for park purposes, or for growth related planning functions by school districts for educational purposes. And so when we were reviewing these regulations, I think it was the advice of the county attorney to have these monies turned over directly to those entities so that the county wasn't tasked with ensuring that those monies were spent on, on those items. And so I, that, that is coming back to me. And then uh, one of the thoughts I had when you were talking about, can we condition it to say that this money has to be used for schools or for the core trail? Um, 
if we put that condition on there and the city didn't use it for the core trail, then I think it would be the county taking some kind of action against the city to either rectify that or ensure that those funds are used for what was specifically stated in the condition of approval. So I, I definitely see where you're going with that, Troy. I just think it would be an, an administrative nightmare to, to ensure. So um, that is the reasoning behind why it was written the way that it was written. But I think that, you know, moving forward, your, your points are definitely noted, Troy, and I understand, um, I think we are all hearing what your concern is. And I think on our end, we just need to circle back with the county attorney on the language. Um, I wasn't part of drafting the language here. Um, Alan was definitely more involved, but um, we can definitely look into that. And I could see the commissioners probably sharing your concern also. And we can definitely, you know, try to get that answer before the Board of County Commissioners and bring this up as, you know, a specific concern that a planning commissioner um, brought up. Uh, to get that feedback. But we can definitely do more follow-up just to see, you know, what, what um, I guess, rights we have and what, um, you know, belts and suspenders we have here, you know, with conditions of approval when it's linked to um, a fee and lieu requirement of our regulations, how much weight we actually have to dictate where that money goes. Um, I do know, um, you know, most of this is written to mirror statutes and there has to be that nexus. So there is that part, but to your point, if, you know, it could be clear that it's something that is um, uh, made a condition of approval that it be for the core trail or something within city limits and not outside of, and maybe that's really the, the, um, the catch here that we can look into. Um, to prevent, you know, monies going outside of that nexus area. So um, I think you made some good points. Well, Christine, you also have that very last five, six words, or as agreed upon by the applicant and planning director, that strikes me as a window. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. Again, I wasn't part of the intent of writing this, so that's just something we would just have to... Um, Verify, I would imagine that was the intent to have that flexibility. Okay. Roberta, your hand was up. Uh, yeah, I just had a, I mean, I agree with uh, Troy's concerns and it seems to me that you could just delete the, um, the reference to having it closest to because what happens if it's, for example, a regional park? And, you know, the planning commission and the planning director decides, gee, the money would be best spent in building a regional park. Well, it may not be the closest to the subdivision, but it's a, it's a benefit like the core trail is to, you know, the community at large. So I think just getting rid of the, if it's possible to get rid of the language related to having it be closest to the subdivision and just have it be agreed upon by the planning director and the applicant. 
and is reviewed by the you know planning commission and the board of commissioners that's a really good um suggestion um the other thing is i don't really understand at all why there couldn't also be a requirement for some sort of if, it, if money is to be given to a, a third party you know be it the city of steamboat springs or oak creek or whomever that there be a letter agreement between the county and um, that entity saying the money should specifically be used for this particular thing, whatever it is. I don't think that's very hard administratively to do. Agreed. And then my final point was just that um, I think this is written so that the money could be used for both active and passive parks. And I think trails a lot of times are considered pretty passive. Is that not correct, Alan? I'm it's sorry, for both active. It's it's for both active and passive. The money can be used for both active and passive parks. Oh yeah. So that was it. Andy, you have another question? And then we'll get to Troy. Yeah, I mean, it. I guess it just tends along that line. Um, that was just being discussed. I remember um, Red Hawk Village. It was really early on when I was working and we were the consultant on the, the landscaping in the open space, the playground, working with um, landmark consultants. And I remember Nancy Stahoviak just, you know, getting all over us about, you know, how is open, passive open space the same as a park. and. I think the discussion that we had was is that you know here in Colorado we look at things a little bit differently and how we recreate isn't limited to some type of um, fabricated environment and so the just like what Roberto was saying the passive recreation is just as important as you know the playground equipment the the ball fields and everything and so um, I kind of second what Roberto was saying I know I've seen Billy waving his hand a whole bunch over there. I don't know if he knows how to raise his hand on the screen, but uh, I'll, I'll drop off. Okay, Troy. <laughs> when Troy's done, I'd like a chance, thank you. Okay. Uh, I, I want to know if this is a, a statute or does the state require this type of regulation in our in our county regs, and then two, going back to Roberta's comment about just eliminating those words. Um, the thing that jumped in my head, Roberta, was is what Alan likes to talk about, and that's the nexus. So if we just eliminated or edited those words that you're referring to, and I can't, I don't know what paragraph it was, but. I thought your, your assumption was is that then it would be more flexible, but I'll bet you Alan would assert that it had to be spent based upon a nexus and that's how you got to the nearest community. You're correct. Yeah, I, don't, I don't disagree with that, but I don't, I, I think there's, man, a nexus can, can also apply to a regional facility, not necessarily a neighborhood facility. No, I'm good with you. I, yeah, I like that. 
and, and I like the flexibility, so I'm not opposed to it. I just thought that would be the the um, antithesis of it. Uh, yeah, that is something that we will discuss with the attorneys. Um, Perfect. And then Troy, back to your question about the state statute does require that all city and county subdivision regulations have a provision for schools and parks. So that is the, it's also, it's the enabling statute that allows us to do this, but it's also a statute that requires us to do this. And so that is why parks and schools are the only thing addressed and emergency services, roads, and other things are not. Thank you. Billy, what's your question? You're muted. Hello. Hey, you got me now? Yeah. 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 So I, I, I don't know if I'd be oversimplifying this, but I definitely agree with Troy that uh, we ought to be able to allocate the money to a specific project if we want. Um, a simple thing that just seems really, I don't understand. Um, right now it says, uh, or approved by. So that, that gives us a tremendous amount of flexibility. And more importantly than just that statement, it says as approved by the planning director. Now we've been talking here about the planning commission getting involved in where the money's gonna go. So, I mean, that's kind of been implied from the discussion, I, the way I've been listening to it. So why don't we just say that? Why don't we just say, as agreed to, and I wouldn't even use agreed, I'd say, and approved by the Planning Commission. So this whole issue about it, whether it's gonna to go to the city or you know whoever, we get to decide that. And we have a group, it's not like we get the public forum, we get a bunch of people who are educated in what's going on, and so, why don't we just let us make the decision where it goes? So that, that'd be my, my major point. And since I was kind of hard getting on here, I will just kind of digress and get off the in lieu thing for just a second. Um, the formulas that are given in here, uh, it's nice that it's clarified in terms of area per resident. Um, the thing that I guess I didn't understand was that uh, I didn't see anything in terms of commercial property. So if somebody's doing a development, and they're putting the sub. I mean, they're putting it in a strip mall, and uh, we want to get some funds to compensate for their impact. Um, I don't see any kind of formulas for that, and so I just, I, if somebody could address how, if we, do we even want to try and have that stipulated, or do we want to just make that um, something that gets negotiated between the county and the developer? Um, that's. I guess my, my last point would be relative to that would be um, prices agreed to um, by the applicant and the planning director. Um, and if that's not agreed to, then the applicant can go and get his uh, appraisal. That, that seems to give a, um, very little checks and balances from the planning director in terms of what's, what's reasonable. It doesn't seem unreasonable to me that the planning commission could get involved in that decision about how much money a commercial development would have to submit. So thank you for putting me on there, Steve. I'm set. I'm set. 
Billy, we got to teach you how to raise your hand. That's what we got to figure out. Yeah, how do we do that? <laughs> it's Is at that... the bottom of the participant screen, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. So in, under participants, I do. I do what? I think isn't there a raise hand there at the very bottom of it? You you click on it, Billy. It's see where it says okay. participants ten. Just click on that. And then at the bottom of the, the next screen that comes up, it says raise hand at the bottom right. Oh, okay. Good. Well, thank you. I was thinking I was still on the, the video mode. <laughs> Good. I'll, I'll use that. Thank you. So I would like to just respond to some of Billy's uh, comments. Uh, so the, the state statutes specifically state subdivisions um, and the route county, the, the regulations that we have in place go to support the visions and goals in the master plan. And our current master plan does not support any type of commercial development outside of the growth centers. And um, Commercial development, although impacts are created to roads and utilities and transportation and those kinds of things, they're not increasing the residential density of the county. And so these regulations are really meant to offset the impacts based on the increased residential density that the county would be receiving through these subdivisions. So um based on that and the lack of really commercial land available for development and the lack of commercial development that takes place in the county i don't know if it is an appropriate use of staff time or planning commission's time to go down that road now if the master plan were to change drastically during this update and commercial activity is allowed out in the county maybe we could could address that but i think it would be more appropriate if the if the master plan was changed to support commercial activities out in the county and then my last comment would be that um i envision this as being we have this all tied up neatly in a package hopefully and present it to planning commission and the board for their decision as to whether, yes, we agree with the amount of land that should be dedicated or we agree with the um, per acre value and yes, it's good to go. Uh, and then planning, and that would be done at the preliminary review of the subdivision. And the, the way our process works for preliminary subdivisions is Planning Commission makes a recommendation to the board who makes the ultimate decision. So I don't think that just replacing Planning Director with Planning Commission would make that any more clear because the board is the one that actually makes the decision on this. And I could, based on this conversation, I could see that uh, Planning Director should be change to the board or agreed upon by the applicant and recommended by planning commission to the board or, or something along those lines. Oh, do it. Yeah.
Anybody else? <laughs> All right. Um, so can I go on to the next, the next item, the next change? I'll take silence as an affirmative. Um, so this relates to section 3.29 of the zoning regulations and that section is titled term of approval and the change we're proposing is in direct relation to permittees not knowing or forgetting or losing track of when their permit actually expires. And so we deal with this on a regular enough basis that we needed to include C. And so the, the issue again is permittees don't realize their permit is about to expire and there is not enough time to application, schedule it, review it, and have a decision and the permit issued in time before the existing permit expires. And so the way we've been handling this in the past is you submit a request to the board to be able to continue to operate while your permit or while your application is being reviewed and um, the board makes a decision or not. That's how it's been handled in the past. In a more re in the most recent situation where this was, the board asked, "Where's our authority to do this? What's the process that we have?" and we didn't have a process. It's just how the board had done it for years up until that point. So that's how we, the, the department operated. So we saw the need to include a provision that would help, that would provide a process for this. And so C is what was, um, what was generated and it would allow the planning director to extend the permit for up to 90 days. Only one extension would be allowed. All of the existing conditions of approval continue to, to apply and the submit, the request must be submitted by a complete application for review. So, um, Hopefully our, or it is anticipated that our new permit tracking software will give us a six month um, heads up as to when permits will be expiring so that staff can then notify the permittee that, hey, your permit's about to expire, you need to get an application in. And so hopefully we won't be using this once we get our new software. Uh, but until that new software goes live, we need this allowance so that uh, it's not outside of the zoning regulations and doesn't have a defined process. Any questions? Steve, you're muted. I dropped off there for a minute. Um, 
So I'm going to backtrack just a bit. I'm taking the position that you're going to go back to Eric um, on that last issue. Yeah, we've got, I, I took some notes and we're going to talk to him about it. Okay. Bye. Uh, we have two participants raising hands. Um, um, Greg. Uh, just a quick question of why you decided only to have one exemption uh, for it and why not a multiple, a couple more? I mean, I, I can see why two or three after that, you know, they would need to kind of get a little bit hand slapped and stuff like that. But uh, just one time kind of seems like you're setting them up for failure. They've already forgotten once. They'll probably do it again. Well, we would, I mean, in order for them to get this extension, they would need to request it. So at that point, they are aware that their permit is about to expire or has expired and they need to get their act together and get us an application so it can get scheduled. It's really a, a stick to say, you need to take care of this because if you don't, we're going to shut your operation down so it's not like after five years when they do it again you can redo that again it, it's not just that one time it's for that permit and then that carries through and then you can do that again the next time in that 10 five, five ten years when that would happen yeah i guess i hadn't thought about that scenario um but the way it's written, I would interpret it to say that each permit would be allowed this one extension. But again, it is anticipated that our new tracking permit software will take care of this and we won't have to use this. I hope it's awesome. Me too. Troy, your hand was up. Yeah, I, uh, really don't like A that says that um, if no time period is specified, the use goes on for the life of use. Um, the thing that comes to my mind are gravel pits and the county has several gravel pits that are currently operating and, and have operated for decades um, because there was no termination. In other words, those permits were for life of use. And so I don't know really how staff handles, you know, current regulation, et cetera, regarding gravel pits. But um, I think that sets the county up for, um, you know, for bad things. And I think we should simply amend that language or just delete that if no time period is specified you know you get one year or two years or whatever three years alan if if you got some use in mind that that you're trying to cover uh, i'm okay with substituting a specific you know number of years but i'm not okay with just saying whatever use it is and because the computer system failed and didn't pop up the right software, you now get it for life of use. I think that's bad policy. 
We do have, I mean, right, what we do now, Troy, with those older permits that may be life for use or any new permits, there are some that do get approved for life of use. We do have built in that uh, condition of approval that if there's any complaints or concerns, we can bring up review of that permit at any time. Um, so there is, there is some teeth there, um, but I, I see your point also. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate you defending the way it's written, but oh, I guess the case hasn't been made to me to convince me that the way it's written for life of use should remain. I don't know if Alan has a use or Christy's got an idea of what it is that they need this for or why that life of use is appropriate. I've given you my examples of, you know, 30 and 40 year old grapple pits that, you know, the county has nothing to do with those. And sometimes they sit, they're idle, they, they're not operating. And then all of a sudden they pop back up, they're operating again. We have, I don't have any idea if they have the current technology for dust mitigation and noise and access permits, et cetera. So anyway, if you can justify for me you know, why it is important that you want in this regs life of use, I'm open to it. All I'm saying is, is the regulation gives the freebie to the applicant or the one that got approval. And then God forbid the planning commission or planning department or whoever, board of county commissioners give them a permit without a date specified. But so for some reason you want that language in there and I'm not understanding why. So those existing operations, those gravel pits, they are, they're grandfathered in and we, but their grandfathering is limited to what was in existence in, in 1972. So it's not like those gravel pits get to uh, expand and do whatever they want. They are limited to what they were doing at the time of adoption of the zoning regulations by the county. And that's, that's all they're limited to. And I can't think of many permits that don't have, that actually have a permit throughout county that don't have a time frame associated with them. So maybe that is something that we can look into. We can look at all of the issued permits that exist right now and see if there are timeframes associated with them. But that, uh, I mean, A, I'm not really prepared to talk much more about because that was not the not the focus of of it's this existing. update. So, um, but we can certainly look into it. Well, Alan, if I may, even uh, unless I misunderstand, but I don't think so. If specifically, Troy, you're referring to the gravel pits. There's a whole nother set of operating conditions that have nothing with the county that have lives on them. They can't just wake up one morning and decide to operate with an operating permit from the equivalent of Bureau of Mines and Minerals in Colorado. I forget what they call it. 
So there is another set, there is another set of permits that are in there. Yeah, and even though those I was simply trying to use that as an illustration that I know is out there. I don't give a hoot about a grandfather gravel pit or not. What I'm trying to address is the language contained in A. And for some reason, somebody put life of use in this report. And I've expressed, I felt my concern that the county or the neighbors or the public get stuck with a permit that somebody screwed up and didn't put a termination period on there. So now, whether it's the public, the neighbor, or the county, you're stuck with that permit for life of use. Now, I appreciate Christy's comment that said, oh, any complaints or concerns, fine. Well, we went through that with Carpenter Ranch. And we know what kind of a pain in the butt that was for staff. We know what kind of a pain in the butt and all the time that was consumed by planning commission and staff to try to get through the Carpenter Ranch. So I'm just simply trying to avoid an argument. At some point in time, if there's a permit that gets issued that has no date for termination, is that in the best interest of the county? And, and it seems to me, again, I, I ask Alan, if you can convince me or explain to me why that language is in A, maybe I can just shut up and, and I'll be quiet. But so far I haven't heard the explanation as to why for life of use shall be included in our county regs. I don't, I don't understand why. Troy, you, um, I'm just, happy, just, I'm happy just, if you want to put in one year, 18 months, two years, I don't care, but for life of use? Yeah, no, I think you're making good points, Troy, but just to be clear, we didn't propose this language. That's existing language in our regs currently. So um, the only proposed language that um, is part of or what was being proposed was under C, which was new language. Um, but your points are noted that we should look at A. So I'm, I'm actually looking up permits now. You know, I would simply say amend it or I hear what you're saying. That's what's existing. Well, if we're reviewing it and nobody knows why that's in there, and nobody can explain why that's in there, then maybe we should amend A also, as a, in addition to adding C. I'm looking up a permit right now, Troy, to try to confirm if there's a date on it, but that would be for the daycare, um, Little Lambs, which was approved by you guys. Um, and I don't believe there was a term limit on that permit. And I'm guessing the, the reason for that is, and again, we'll, we'll verify all of this, is because they also have to go through state and county requirements for that. How about, Christy's gonna research that now, and um, let's go for it, we got more questions. Andy, you have a question? Uh, more, I was just Andy? Yep. More I was just supporting what um, Troy was trying to get at. I think um, I think it's a valid point and we should continue with that discussion a little bit. Um, 
I guess I, I Troy, I kind of thought maybe what was triggering your initial response was um, something that's like out there already that we don't know about. But it's interesting that Christy points out something recent that actually fits that. So I think that only validates more what you're trying to, you know, accomplish there. You know, when you mentioned a gravel pit, it's that one that we've never seen. But I feel like for the last 10 years, every gravel pit I've seen, um, the the time limits have been pretty consistent and regularly spaced out so that they're getting reviewed often. I can think of one gravel, I can think of one gravel pit that is grandfathered that does not have a a county permit and I can think of another gravel pit that has a permit from 1976 that has a life of use but um yeah, I I understand that this is a more than just a gravel pit discussion. Um, but yeah, we can, we can certainly look into it. Billy, you had a question. You can hear me now, right? Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Yes. Very good. So I just, uh, I definitely yes strongly support what Troy was saying about the uh, use of um, life of use. I don't see any reason why you couldn't just take it out of there, period. Um, that's, that's number one. Uh, number two, Christy had said something about to make us feel better because if um, even if we have that in there and people complain, then we can bring it up and talk about it again. Okay. And that doesn't make me feel real comfortable because bringing it up and talking about it again I don't know what that means. Um, what I do know is if there's a problem and uh, planning commission, well, the, let's always go back to the county commissioners. The county commissioners, after everybody's input, uh, doesn't like it, then it permits good, not good. You know, they, we terminate the permit because they didn't, they violated the conditions of the permit or something like that. So if we were to leave it in, I would try and clarify that, what that really means, okay? so. Those are my comments. Thank you. Anyone so, else? I, 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 ha I have a question. Um, and that is, does anybody have any questions about the proposed change? <laughs> I'm good at the change, particularly considering based on everything I hear, it's interim. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, I was just able to um, pull up the Little Lambs permit, which was an SUP that was approved in 2019 and that was approved for life of use. But I think we just need but. to look into other permits and stuff. But like I said, I mean, that would make a little more sense because there are multiple agencies that need to review um, a daycare center and they're constantly being um, inspected by the county health department and through the state. Um, so that might be an example where um, you may feel it's appropriate 
Um, maybe not, but that's just an example that I was able to find. You know, I'm, I'm not at all concerned about existing life of use that's out there. And I think life of use was totally appropriate on little lamb's daycare. My whole reference here was moving forward because I thought that was the context that A was written in. Uh, was, was in future approvals. So I'm not talking about prior approvals. I don't, I can't do anything about prior approvals. I thought this was referencing approvals going forward. And I was concerned that approvals going forward because there was some lack of, of the board planning commission administrative permit, not specifying a time period, all of a sudden it morphed. So whatever that permit is that was issued just automatically morphed. The way this is written, it just automatically morphs to life of use. So I don't care if it's a daycare, I don't care if it's a guest ranch, I don't care if it's a bed and breakfast, I don't care if it's a gravel pit. The way it's written says that if somebody screws up, meaning staff, planning commissioner, the board of county commissioners, that use is there for life of use. That's my only point. So don't go back and look. I don't want anybody wasting time on that. It's irrelevant. I can't do anything about those. It was the text and the way it's written is, is inappropriate for my acceptance because I think the way it's written it just defaults to given a, a use uh, for life. And and I don't think that's really what the county's intent is. I mean, it's one thing if it's in Phippsburg, if it's in, you know, Milner, an unincorporated area, and we say, you know, this is great. And, and sure, they got a lot of money invested to try to operate a daycare for the benefit of the community and for the benefit of Rock County. I don't care about trying to put a limit on them after they've spent $300,000 to build a daycare center. What I'm trying to do is interpret this regulation as written that says, because some of us screwed up, be it planning commission, board of county commissioners, or staff, God, I'm starting to sound like Brent Romick. But anyway, it's simply um, uh, approvals going forward. And I don't think we want to just uh, ratify or uh, acknowledge whatever. That you got a free pass now. It should be written, and that's why I said, if you want to put in one year, two years, three years, five years, I don't care, but it's got to have a termination. You just can't say it's open for life of use because we screwed up and didn't put it in to begin with. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, so. Uh, it sounds to me, Chris, sounds to me, Christy, like one of two things, you either gotta address A in terms of rewording or justify one way or the other. But I think the good news is C appears to be um, fine with the commissioners. So you got a little bit of homework to do. And I think A is would be an easy thing to address. Uh, 
every one of our template staff reports has a uh, term limit as a condition of approval in it. And we, were, we are gonna continue to use those moving forward. And with that, with that in mind, I think that the, the phrase, or if no time period is specified for the life of use, can get stricken because we have conditions of approval in our template staff reports that address the the term of a of a permit. So um, these are those are good conversation. And when we go to the board, we will bring that item up. And because um, this. Uh, hearing was advertised as a, an adoption slash work session. I'm getting the feeling that uh, y'all are not ready to make a recommendation to adopt this. You still want some more uh, information on uh, specifically the fees going to the, the parks department. So that's something that we will look into and if I'm wrong on the fact that y'all are not ready to make a, an approval recommendation, please, uh, please correct me. Uh, Alan, I think you hit a rather target. Um, okay. we're gonna, we, you're going to go back to legal um, to get some more advice on that first one. And I think on this one, you've already volunteered that you maybe have some fix for a and life goes on. So, I think it's your uh, your comments were appropriate, and your uh, introspection was good, or extrospection. But thank you. All right. So, are are we done with uh, with my item? Is there any other comments or questions that y'all have, commissioners? Alan, I think you're done. All right. Thanks, guys. Christy, administrator's report. Yeah, I'll make it real short. Um, Alan, you're still on before you jump off. Um, we have two items only scheduled, scheduled for the next meeting, April, um, September 3rd. That's just to approve minutes. We have no items, uh, decision items to schedule. Um, Alan, did you schedule those on, or do you know anything about that? What the minutes? Yeah, did you? Put no, them they on were the probably calendar? just. You know, I did. I, I did that when I finished them. I just stuck them in on the next available as soon as the corrected ones were done. So I just stuck them in on the next meeting, not knowing that there were not going to be other items. So those okay. can just be deferred to the following meeting. Oh, okay. That was well, just the next. The next meeting that we have an application scheduled currently isn't until October, uh, the beginning of October, actually. Um, so let me just see Perfect. what that date is. Maybe we'll go vaccine by then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Russia. Are, are you? What? <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Um, I'm vodka. So there you go. We, we have a couple of other applications in the pipe um, that um, I don't know if they'll meet 
no, they won't meet the next he, uh, meeting date for September. So um, looks like we might have some, some time off. Um, I do have um, Historic Route County who would like to come and speak to you all. Um, and, and just as that educational component and tell you what it is that they do. Um, and they have some recommendations for whenever that is we pick back up the master plan. Um, I could schedule those um, or, you know, I told them last, we wouldn't probably be looking at that until about fall um, when we slowed down. Um, we do have a lull. Um, that's totally up to you if you'd be interested in doing that or um, putting it off to, to more fall, like November-ish. Any thoughts? I know Andy uh, has What Andy, you've got your hand up. Go ahead. It was on something different, so just continue on this discussion. Oh. Um, okay. Although with that respect, um, I guess for me, just on a personal note, sooner is easier than later. Um, snowmaking is scheduled to begin. Um, October 19th is our orientation, three days, and then we're ready to go. And I'll miss you guys for, you know, two months there until that's finished up. So for, for me personally, if it happens sooner, then I'm okay with that, but I'll defer to the rest of the crew. Okay. Christy, do you have a feel for the load for the first meeting in October? Um, yeah, there's just one item scheduled as of now. Um, uh, so if we, did, if we did the minutes and we did um, whomever, maybe that's a good time to do it? Yeah, and I mean, that would be my thought. I guess I could just you know, email you all um, and let you know what we have scheduled. That seems the most logical if we don't have other applications um, right. that we need to schedule. So I can, I guess, just email you all and keep you in the loop as to what that workload looks like. That works. So okay. I guess- Anybody else have any comments? Yeah, Christy, we do have this item that we need to get scheduled again the the public sites the one we just had the discussion on so uh, that will probably be October first. Unless we can get unless sorry we can also probably put that back on um, that last meeting in September. I don't know if you would we'd be able to probably meet with um, get that information to get it back on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So well, we can coordinate that on our end and just keep you in the loop as to yeah. what we have. Um, so don't rule out the last meeting in September yet. Um, but as soon as we know, okay. um, we yeah. will let you know. And then one other thing that Christy and I discussed today. So as part of our uh, of getting the new permit tracking software, we are going to pretty significantly change the way we process applications in the hopes of avoiding information submitted at the last minute, not having requ information required in order to complete our staff report. And so what we are going to do is 
and we'll go into this in more detail, is not schedule an item until pretty much the staff report is done. And we have all of our questions answered, all of the information submitted, which will help staff avoid last minute scramblings and things that come up at the last minute and then last minute information submitted right before planning commission. So we are going to, which, and that all is gonna require some changes to the regulations for noticing requirements. So we want to have that discussion with you this fall. And then as a part of the new software, uh, we're gonna be updating our feeds. And so we still have some more work to do to determine what all of those are, but that is something that we want to present to y'all as a single package sometime this fall. Makes sense. Andy. Okay, anything else? Yeah, just real quick, uh, Chris, Christy and Alan, um, I recently applied for and was um, put on the Oak Creek Planning Commission. They had been trouble getting some quorums and stuff. It's no conflict with what we have going on. So I was happy to jump in on that. We had our first meeting last night. It went until nine o'clock. So it was kind of surprising. Um, but one thing that I found was, and I don't know if the county has a way to help, they could really use a refresh on Roberts and Sunshine, things like that. Does the county have any ability to send the lawyer that always gives us the great talk to be able to help them out. You know, Oak Creek has a, a lawyer on retainer, but you know, they don't have, they have way less funding than even you guys. And I respect that. So, you know, if you could just keep that, think about how, is there something that can be done a workshop by you guys, the planning commission just could use a little help. And it was interesting to see the number of applications that actually and, and the actually complexity of what was going on, it was surprising for the first meeting. So just any help you could provide, that'd be great. Well, yeah, we we'll, look, yeah, we'll yeah. look into that, Andy, and you know, see, see how we can provide some sort of support. Hey, Andy, we've been having problems getting quorums for Board of Adjustment. Do you wanna join our <laughs> Board of Adjustment so that we can solve that problem too? <laughs> uh, I. I don't don't think it didn't cross my mind, um, but you know, we'll see. Maybe I can help out sometime. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just just had to throw it out there. Yeah. We'll hold you. We'll hold you to that. Um, and then on that note, um, the closing for new applicants for both Planning Commission and Board of Adjustment that closed. Um, we only received, I think I told you this, um, three applications um, interested. Um, which is better than zero, um, but we did extend the deadline and um, uh, we um, are soliciting for another week and a half. Um, so um, hopefully we'll see if we get any bites on that and uh, we'll just keep you posted. Cool. The week and a half ends when? What's that? The week and a half extension ends when? I think the twenty, the twenty eighth, I believe. Um, okay. Yeah. And then, do we have our arms around Rohil? 
uh, my last conversation, which I shared with you, was um, the beginning of August. He right. let me know that he was having um, um, family issues that he needed to attend to, but he was still very interested to stay on planning commission. Um, I let him know that, you know, the absences, you know, have really been, you know, a problem. Um, but he said that he was going to make an effort and coordinate with me. He did let me know that he couldn't be at the last meeting because he did have a conflict. Um, he works at Yampa Valley Bank um, and did the lending um, for, for the applicant last, uh, last meeting. Um, but I didn't get the email that he wasn't going to be um, at this meeting. I just saw this today through Ronnie. Um, so I got to coordinate with her and then follow up with him to find out what happened today. Um, and I let him know if it, if it continued to be an issue, we're going to have to revisit this and likely replace him. Okay. So. Thank you. Motion right. to adjourn. Thank you. We are adjourned. <laughs>